Welcome to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. My name is Andrea Wilson-Woods, and I'm the CEO and co-founder of Cancer U. Join me each week as I interview cancer patients, caregivers, survivors, and providers about their cancer journeys. You're listening to Cancer Youth Thrivers, where real people share true stories. Robin Ray is a breast cancer survivor and mother to Jordan Ray. Yes, you heard that right. We have two guests today, Robin Ray and Jordan Ray, and we're going to hear all about them. Robin's 20-year-old son, Zach, has his private pilot license and he's pursuing his commercial license. Robin has been married to her husband, John, almost 30 years. Today, Robin and Jordan are joining us from Wellington, Florida. And if you're like me and you don't know where that is, Google it. And Jordan has gone from a star athlete, brain surgery survivor, to serial entrepreneur all before age 20. This young woman is remarkable. Jordan is the founder and CEO of Limitless Medical Logs. She's a keynote speaker and an aspiring author. And I didn't know that, so I can't wait to hear more. Robin and Jordan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Oh, I'm thrilled. I'm thrilled. So I know a little bit about your stories. Let's start with you, Robin, because I know your experience came first. So can you take us back and tell us about your cancer journey? I went for an annual mammogram and the radiologist said that they saw something and they thought I should go have a second opinion. I have a friend who is a general surgeon who looked at my films and he really didn't think anything was wrong, serious, but I told him I was gonna go have a second opinion anyway. And I actually went to a breast specialist, a surgeon, Mm -hmm. and I ended up having a biopsy And I found out the day before my 30th high school reunion, yes, I had breast cancer. And yes, I still went to my 30th high school reunion. I wasn't going to miss it for anything. Good for you. Good for you. I mean, I'm assuming you didn't go straight from a biopsy result right into treatment anyway. Exactly. I ended up having surgery about four months later in October, and then in January, I started uh, radiation. So can you tell us a little bit more about the diagnosis? Um, Was it, you know, triple negative, HER2 positive? Were there any underlying genetic factors? It was actually, it's a very common one. It is not um, estrogen charged very to the point where you could not even feel it. It was only Mm -hmm. found on a mammogram under one centimeter. It came to the point where it was decided through a lot of uh, conversations with two oncologists that I would not benefit from the radiation and chemotherapy. So that's why I only ended up doing radiation. And why did it take so long from the time you got the biopsy result to the time of surgery? Well, after I had the biopsy, they, it was in my left breast. They determined there were two spots on my right breast that they found that they wanted to also do a biopsy. 
So I think it was about a month or two later, I had to do an MRI and it was a needle biopsy MRI and it was three hours long. Out of all of everything I went through, that was actually the worst part of the cancer journey was finding out that the right breast had nothing, but they, you know, wanted to be sure. So July, September was when we found out that the right one was fine but we scheduled the surgery. I had a lumpectomy on October 7th, 2014. Okay, and by January you were doing radiation? I did radiation for six weeks. Every morning I uh, worked about an hour away from my house. I had to go first thing in the morning, I did the radiation, then I drove straight to work. I didn't miss any days of work. The nurses actually asked me if I could come after work one day to talk to all the men that were in the office because they did one radiation treatment and then said, I can't work anymore. (laughs) And I went through six weeks of it and I worked every day. How were you able to do that? You just find strength you don't know you have. And the radiation doesn't really bother you until the end because it's cumulative and it builds up. So I did, I think, um, the final treatment, my doctor said, you know, that's enough. You can't work any longer. And I ended up taking, it was around the holidays anyway, around, um, I think it was the beginning of the year. And he just told me, you're done. And I took a couple days off of work and I went right back. Oh my goodness. What happens after radiation? Um, after radiation, I did start taking tamoxifen, which is very common in breast cancer patients. I took it for five years, and they do a lot of studies when you're getting near the end of the five years to determine, because there are new studies out saying that it might be beneficial to take it for 10 years now. But I did have some common side effects, which are joint pain um, sleeping issues. And with my oncologist, we determined the five years for me was good. And now I'm seven years. Oh, wow. That's terrific. Yeah. Uh, Jordan, I want to go to you and ask you, how old were you when your mother was diagnosed? And what was your reaction? Um, I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, mom, I think I was 16. Um, I remember it was in the summer because in the summer I didn't really have a job because I was a competitive athlete. That was my full-time job. And um, I had practiced one day and she said, I need you to take me up to Jupiter. I need to get a little test done. But she didn't explain like what it was. So we get up there. I drove her up there and um, took her, came back. She told me what it was at the end. She's like, it was a biopsy, but I didn't really ask too much into it. Um, and then I think she was supposed to go to the doctor Monday, but they called her and said, Robin, we have an opening Friday. We'd like to come see you. I was actually at my good friend's house and we were on the same softball team together. So my dad took my mom back up to Jupiter. I remember it was dinner time. And my dad called and I asked him, I'm like, you know, what did the doctor say? And then he was just like, your mom has cancer. So, and then he's like, can you go pick up a pizza? 
I'm like, how do you just say that? And then, you know, go get dinner. I kind of stormed into the bathroom and we've known, so my friend Molly and her mom, we've known them since I was 12. We've played on the same travel team. Um, they would not let me leave until I kind of told them what happened. And I remember I stormed out of the house and my mom had to, or Patty texted my mom and said, what's going on? And that was actually one of the first people we've ever told because we were kind of keeping it private that she was doing some biopsies. We didn't want to say anything. That is how I found out. Wow. Uh, what about your brother? He was 12 and I think you told him mom or dad did he's like okay can i go back outside or can i go back to what i was doing he he didn't know or understand so you know but i mean it was weird i was at the age where i didn't understand but i kind of did at the same time i don't think anybody ever does um but i had to grow up very quickly and it's weird how her cancer diagnosis kind of prepared us for the future, um, but I did have to grow up very fast. And you're the oldest, correct? I am, yes. Okay. Yeah, not not totally uncommon. I want to meet your husband now, Robin. <laughs> <laughs> um, you it's said your worst guy. moment, you said your worst moment was that three-hour MRI that turned out to be unnecessary. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, only because in the middle of it, it was just so uncomfortable the way that they had to do it. And I'll never forget in the middle of the MRI, I heard the doctor, the radiologist who was doing it say to the nurse, she has Valium, right? And I yelled, no, she doesn't. <laughs> and the doctor just basically started yelling at the nurse, like, how could you not give her something it was just very, I'll never forget, it was so hard to breathe just because of the way that they had me. I had to lay upside down and it was so hard to breathe and it was just so uncomfortable. And he also said at the end of it that that was the longest MRI he's ever done. Why was it so long? Did he tell you? Um, so what happens is they have to like put a wire. They put you in the MRI, look at the location, bring you out of the MRI. Then they have to put like a wire in the area that they think that the breast tissue might have, you know, the cancer. And, and then they put you back in the machine. And in doing that, because you're moving so much, it um, alters where the wire is. So it just took so long for him to get it in the right location because once you're in there with the wire, they take the photos, but they don't take the photos until you're in the machine and the wire's exactly where it needs to be. So why it took so long, I cannot answer that question. I just know as soon as I got out of there, I was like, I just started bawling and I'm not a crier at all. And my poor husband looked at me like, it's over, it's over, don't worry. And yeah, so out of the lumpectomy, the radiation, all the treatment I had, that was honestly the worst part of the whole journey. I cannot relate personally, but I can relate as a caregiver. My sister said her least favorite test, and we always tried to get her out of it because she hated it so much, was a bone scan. 
because it's this giant piece of machinery, or at least it was 20 years ago, hovering just inches above your body and you can't move a muscle. You can't even twitch for two hours. And she couldn't stand it because at some point you have to wiggle <laughs> or move, you know, or you yeah. want to and you can't. Um, and she really just and she felt very claustrophobic. Wow. OK, so worst moment. That was your worst moment. What was your best moment? Um, I think there were a couple best moments. So being done with that MRI, <laughs> being done with the radiation. Um, and so my radiation, I thought I started in January, but I must not have. It must have been around the holidays because I remember being um, at our family Christmas. Yeah, and I, remember. I was just in so much pain, but nobody knew it. It was at the end of the radiation. It was actually, I think, the day before Christmas. My boss, my doctor was like, okay, for the end of the, you know, the rest of the year, you need to take it easy. And then also having to be able to stop the tamoxifen was another great moment because I just didn't like being on that medication, but I understood, you know, why I was taking it. And then obviously five years clean is a very big, you know, milestone. With Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I'm going to hold off on those special questions. I'm going to circle back to them. You are doing well, Robin. Jordan, let's talk about your journey. And then, and Robin, I'm going to ask about your point of view as her mother. Okay. Um, so Jordan, you're a competitive athlete. Yes. Start there. Well, I started playing softball when I was like four, five. I just fell in love with it. And by nine, I think, Mom, you can agree with this, I asked you and Dad, can I play travel softball? And then they knew I was serious about this sport when I asked that. And I wanted to be a college athlete. Nine years old, I set that dream, and I worked hard for it. And um, when she got diagnosed, I was 16, so it was my sophomore year. And college coaches cannot talk to you as an athlete. They have to go through your coaches. So I started to get looked at at that point. And um, I was actually, I feel, at the peak of my career my sophomore year, winning awards and, and getting some coaches to talk to my coaches. But I also believe that her diagnosis kind of lit a fire under me. When she went into her mission, there was a few schools that we were about to go tour, but we wanted to wait until she was better. So she got better. Then we did a little family tour. My brother stayed home um, to a few schools that were talking to me. I was now a junior, so I was now allowed to be talked to. We get back from those tours, and right after, I was running for a routine play at third base, and I just blacked out. I've never experienced something like that before. Um, during a game, during a game, during a game, yeah, it was our district game, so the most important part of the season. After the blackout happened, I think I was down for a few seconds. I personally thought I just tripped and fell because I've had a lot of injuries. I've had a few surgeries prior to that. Um, I remember I shot back up, and immediately I had the worst ever migraine. I felt like a sword was kind of just going through my head. Um, but I went back to third base and I continued playing for three more innings until the other team's coach called the trainer 
and she's like, I'm putting you under concussion protocol. You're out of the game. Um, and that was heartbreaking to me because it's districts and I wanted to be there for my team. Um, but she pulled me out. I went to a doctor, not immediately. I didn't even go to the hospital. I went home, which you're not supposed to do if you're under concussion protocol. And I went to bed. And yeah, you're after, definitely not supposed to go to bed. <laughs> you're, you're not. Um, a week later, I think I went to like an orthopedic and uh, he just said, you have whiplash, you're fine. And after like 50 migraines straight, I said to mom, I'm like, there is something wrong here. I just did not feel normal. I felt like I was just a walking zombie and I knew something was wrong. So that's when she called a neurosurgeon and I had my first appointment in, I think it was August or July. I might be wrong on where, that, Mom. Where are we timeline in terms of the year? I'm just trying to get a... 15, 2015. Okay. Yeah, so hers was 2014 and then the beginning of the new year, that's when she got better and then mine was in uh, April. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And you go to the neurosurgeon and what's next? It was weird. He asked me when I first saw him, he's like, does it hurt to sneeze or cough? And I was just like, what? And I, it does. I feel like hell when I sneeze. Um, so I told him, he's like, I think I know what you have. Let's send you for some scans. He sent me for uh, CTs, MRIs, and then I came back in September before I turned 18. And he said, I was right. You have something called Chiari malformation. And mom was in the room with me. I'm not sure if dad was. I can't remember. Um, we have never heard of that. So he explained what it was. It's a neurological disorder that I was born with, which is the craziest part about this whole story. My cerebellum extends into my spinal canal, blocking cerebrospinal fluid to and from my brain. So as I was running for that routine play at third base, I hyperextended my head back. So the um, cerebrospinal fluid got cut off right here um, before it got to my brain. So that's how it all happened. Oh, wow. Robin, what was your reaction to Jordan's diagnosis? Well, I want to go back to that game because I don't <laughs> want anybody to think I'm a very bad parent. So <laughs> Jordan has played, had played softball at that point for probably like 15 years. And even though they pulled her because of concussion protocol, they did it really because it was a district game and there was nobody else really to go in. So that's why she did go back. But the trainer did fully examine her and she didn't think she needed to go to the emergency room at that time. Because obviously if she did, we would have taken her there. Well, the thing with her scans, I have to say is, the doctor wasn't able to duplicate what had happened to her on the softball field. So I said, well, what if she hyperextends her neck in the MRI machine? And in doing that, he was able to see where her fluid blocked completely. And that's how we got the diagnosis. And yeah, we were like, what is it? What malformation? We had never heard of it. And obviously we went home and did a lot of you know, online research. And I think it was at our second or third appointment, he said, we said, what's the fix for it? And I'll let you finish what we ended up deciding. 
And the reason why we decided it was because the surgery, he told us Jordan could be driving and black out. And we were so afraid of what could happen to her or somebody else. Absolutely. Um, so what was the option, Jordan? It was surgery and we moved forward with it December 1st of 2015. So there was a few, I think two months, because we did get second, third, fourth opinions on it. Um, and they all agreed because of that MRI. And to answer the question that you asked her about the worst moments, that MRI was the worst possible thing I've ever done because they would, they stuck a pillow in the back of my head where my head was all the way back in the machine. So it pretty much looked like this. This was my spine and then this was my head. So leaning all the way back and it was a long MRI too. And I remember I just left in tears like she did with her biopsy, but my surgery was December 1st and it was, I was four days in the pediatric ICU. I just turned 18. So my neurosurgeon wanted to keep me in the PICU because of how intense the surgery was and how intense the recovery was. What was um, the surgery? So could you back up just a second? So what was the surgery? What was the goal? What was, what was it? The goal was to improve quality of life because I was having daily migraines and these were 10 out of 10 migraines. And I never had one before in my life other than that blackout. The goal was truly to improve um, the quality of life. And mom, if you want to touch on this too, because it's really blurry for me, this time frame, it's really hard for me to remember a lot of that. Am I missing anything about the surgery well, and the goal? And it was also to prevent this from happen happening again. I mean, she could literally be bending down to pick up a Gatorade or something from yeah. the ground and she could black out again. So that's what we were trying to prevent. And he cut the back of my head open and he takes out the back of your skull and he puts a Dura patch. So um, the Dura patch, he cuts it a certain way where, because you can't pick up your cerebellum, it's gonna stay there. So he wanted to have the Dura patch open enough where um, CSF flow can go um, up and down. So to your brain and to your spine. Got so it. that's what it was. Yes, the goal is to make the area bigger so Got nothing it. will block the fluid because you can't move your brain stem, but you can make that area bigger and make it so it's not going to block. And that was the solution to her problem. There's no cure for Chiari malformation, yeah. but you can make it better. But it's also little difficult here because I, um, I am in a lot of pain. My neck, I just found out I have four bulging discs. My spine is killing me. I have numbness and tingling throughout my legs, my arms. So I'm seeing a neurologist to kind of treat this. And he said to me yesterday, he's like, this is one of the biggest reasons you're dealing with this is because of the surgery that you guys did. A lot of people ask me, was the surgery worth it? But I agree 100% with what my mom said. I could be driving in blackout and hurt myself and hurt others. So yes, my migraines are less. I have about three per week, which I know is still a lot. Um, 
but it's less than what I had before. I had about six per week, but it's just finding the balance of I'm in so much pain right now, trying to fix it naturally because I hate taking meds. Okay. And Robin, you said hindsight being 2020. What did you mean by that? So we did fix the one problem. And for about six months after the surgery, Jordan was really good. She felt good. She didn't have a lot of pain. Her migraines were less per week. But come to find out after you have the surgery, there are other effects that happen. And, you know, we don't know that the bulging discs are a direct correlation, but these are things now she has to deal with that she never had before. And a lot of the neuro, uh, not the neuro, the neurologists think that these are all due to the surgery. So for a while, her neurosurgeon said she was a home run because everything was kind of solved. And then after six months, she started getting back more migraines and the tingling. And after the six months, scar tissue uh, would built up. So now that's blocking my cerebrospinal fluid. So it's like, yes, the surgery was a success. There is no cure for Chiari. It's just really finding the balance of how can I get me better? But like my mom said, we had to do the surgery and we did consult with more doctors, not just the one opinion of the neurosurgeon that did it. Okay. And Jordan, how did this affect your athletic career? I couldn't play again. He didn't clear me. Like when I was first diagnosed, uh, that was September. The surgery was in December. I mean, that's what, two, three months a difference. So it was kind of like I was going into my senior season. So that would start in January. So I was kind of thinking to myself, well, maybe I can do recovery and then get back on the ball field because I have these potential scholarships that I'd like to fulfill. Then I got sick again with the scar tissue building. And I just, I kind of knew when he diagnosed me that I would never step foot on the softball field again. Oh my gosh, I am so sorry. You told us your worst moment. What was your best moment? I think seeing the need for a better health management tool and realizing that I just lost everything and the most important thing to a person is your health. I just lost everything and I'm going to turn this into a positive and doing it. I think that is the best moment out of everything that happened because of how many people I'm helping that are just like me. It's just an incredible feeling. Robin, how do you feel as her mother watching her go through this and not being able to be an athlete anymore and then yet turn things around and help other people. Yeah, well, I have to say it was hard for us as well because as parents, we've traveled out of state with Jordan. We've um, spent just thousands on hotels and uniforms. And, 
you know, they always have to have the latest and greatest equipment. Bats were over $300. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, you know, as they're growing, she needed new cleats every season. I give a lot of credit. Her high school coach just saw something in her right away. And he had a lot of girls that were graduating. And as a freshman, he put Jordan at a very important position, third base, And she was just amazing there. And I'll never forget at a game, one of her old coaches from middle school, you know, said, we're going to see her, you know, in the World Series of softball one day. He was just so impressed seeing her going from middle school to high school and just dominating, you know, the diamond and third base and everything. And then after that, it all happened, Jordan, I'll never forget, asked me to go to a high school softball game and watch it. And I sat there watching it with another family whose younger daughter was playing. And the dad looked at me and I'll never forget. And he said, it's not good, right? And I said, Garrett, I'm waiting for her to come up to bat. And she wasn't playing. And that was just, it was hard, you know, to watch the other kids and know that she'll never play again but I still get emotional because I remember sitting there watching and so it was hard but um I'm just so proud of her what she's done now and you know she does want to help other people and she's really just listening to her sometimes I think I can't believe she's only 23 years old you know she's so mature and she commands like an audience and yeah, we're really proud of her. We wish, you know, I still remember going to the, the colleges and she was so excited when she heard that they do your laundry. And I said, Jordan, they do your uniforms. They don't do all of your laundry. (laughs) So she said, sign me up. I was was ready to go. (laughs) She was the first pick of their season of 2016 graduates. And I looked at her and I said, yeah, it's, it's not how it is. But um, yeah, so I still remember that. And she went to another school in Georgia and we just loved it. And, you know, you just, it's a dream that she had since she was so little. So it's just hard to accept reality, but now it's a new reality. And the biggest thing is, you know, she's working so hard with the business, but she's also, you know, still battling health issues which yeah. is hard as a mom because you want to fix the problem. Yeah, because we didn't really hype up how intense travel softball was from 9 to 17. My dad now is obsessed with cruising because we never had a vacation. Right. Every single weekend except Christmas, we were traveling Friday to Monday, 10 games a weekend. I mean, I had practice every other day. If I wasn't practicing, we were training. It's like it was our life. It, it was for that many years, but the props go out to my parents and also all the other parents that sacrificed because they bought into this dream. It's not just me as an athlete. They bought into me. They, they believed in me. And I mean, the best feeling about all of this, other than me starting this company, is when we were touring those schools like the pride, I can just see it. And that was one of the best moments. Jordan, what is one thing you wish you had known at the beginning of this journey with your brain? It's okay to cry. 
because as an athlete, especially a competitive athlete, and we teared up because we don't really, like, I know they're extremely proud of me, but we don't go around, like, every uh, corner we turn, hey, so proud of you, great job. (laughs) I just, I know they're extremely proud of me, so that's why I got a little emotional there. Knowing that it's okay to cry, because throughout my athletic career, we would be weak, we're not allowed to cry. If we do, we are weak. That carried on when my mom was diagnosed and then also when I was diagnosed. I just would hold it all in and I would never let emotions out. But I realized that because I was doing that, I was weak. Crying, it shows that you're accepting this and you're moving forward and you're trying to be positive. So that was the biggest takeaway from um, the diagnosis and what I wish I knew. Robin, what about you? Beginning of your breast cancer journey, what's the one thing you wish you had known? I guess I wish I would have had some more resources because going through the journey, I um, decided to have treatment up in Jupiter, um, there's, which is about an hour away from us. I had a customer, I'm an insurance agent, and I had a customer and he was a general surgeon and his wife was a doctor as well. And I'll never forget, I had to do an inspection on his vehicle. And the wife said, well, you're going to have to go to his office because he's a surgeon. He's very busy. And I went to his office. He was the nicest man. And I said to him, you know, as part of the inspection, I need to take your Porsche for a test drive. And he basically put the keys on the counter and said, it does 140, no problem on I-95. And I said, (laughs) okay, I'll be back in a few minutes. And he was just such a great guy. And it turned out years later, he was my surgeon that I went to. Wow. Yes. And he's still just great bedside manner. That's great. It was (laughs) the resources. Resources. Oh, yeah. Just more resources because you find out when you're in the middle of it and when you start going for more treatment where the resources are. I didn't want my family to make any changes. So aside from I had the surgery I was out of work for a week. I went right back to work. My kids went to school every day. It was almost like normalcy. And we didn't talk about it. We didn't dwell about it. And that's just how I am. I just live my life and do my day. And so it would have been helpful with some more resources. But I was very lucky. I have an uncle who's an oncologist up in Maine. And he was very helpful Whenever I got information, I always just sent it to him. And, you know, what are your thoughts? And her being like that, where she would get up, go to treatment. She'd make sure my brother and I are ready. My dad's ready for work, for school. Um, I was in high school. I think Zach was in middle school. She would get us all ready to go out the door to radiation, then to work. And then if I had softball games, she was in the stands. That woke me up right there she can do it all so no matter what we're going through we need to be there for her my dad i think he deserves an award for the way he was a caregiver because i was probably the crappiest caregiver possible i think when the day she had surgery my friend texted me hey you want to get dinner and i went and got dinner because I knew I couldn't help okay. her Time in any out. way. <laughs> Time out. You were a teenager. Right. 
I think that's yeah. a lot of pressure to put on yourself. I don't think that's fair. You know, really, I don't. Even though you were the oldest, I don't think that's fair. Don't put that on yourself. Yeah, so mm -hmm. my dad definitely deserves an award. He's just continuing to be a caregiver. And, and in all honesty, one. I am terrible at it, too, because when Jordan <laughs> was in the hospital, oh I <laughs> could not deal with when she will anesthesia, you get sick from it, you know, you vomit. The nurse there, I would run out of the room and she would run in the room. I've never seen her run so fast. <laughs> <laughs> when only one of us could be there, I agreed to stay overnight because my husband was taking care of Zachary and we had a dog at the time. But he is definitely the ultimate caregiver. Jordan had surgery on her ankle. He took care of her. So I'm an adult, and I'm telling you honestly, I'm horrible at it. Jordan had an excuse. I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have this very strong aversion to uh, vomit, and that was one of the things that I was worried about with my sister because I didn't leave her side, and I was very concerned, like, would I be able to handle it? Because it's the smell. Like, that's if I smell it, then I will vomit too. That's what happens. Oh, I, okay. I was not a good girlfriend that could hold your hair up after a night of margaritas. <laughs> no, like I was not that person. So me I would be outside either. the bathroom door, you know, how you doing? Feeling better? Um, <laughs> <laughs> Mine uh, but, is the sound. The is sound it? Oh, okay. Bother me. It's and, the sound yeah, of it. yeah. And I was going for two days straight. I get really sick from it. Mm -hmm. So they got to a point where, cause I haven't eaten in three days. Yeah. you know, pre-surgery. And um, I was just throwing up my stomach lining and I just kept going and going. And yeah. I wish y'all could see Robin's face <laughs> right now. <laughs> I just can hear it. Yeah. You even talking about it, Jordan. Robin's like, oh my God. Oh my yeah. God. Even when the animals do it, I run. I can oh, yeah. it up, no problem, but I can't listen to it. <laughs> Isn't that funny, right? I mean, it's just like, yeah, the sound doesn't bother me, but it's Everybody the smell. Does, yeah, their own yeah. thing. All right. I can't wait to hear your okay. responses. Last question before we do Thriver Rapid Fire. If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? And let's start with you, Robin. Well, I would want everybody to have a medical log. As soon as Jordan came out with it, it just helps you to be so organized. And when you are in that headspace of, you know, you have to to have so many doctor's appointments, treatment, medication, you just can't take care of all of it and remember all of it. So I'm a person, I make a list when I go to the grocery store, I always forget something on my list, but I'm a list person. And one thing would be for everybody to have, you know, be able to have access to the log or the medical app you know, I think it would be a great advantage for everybody. I totally agree. We really stress inside of Cancer U of how important it is to get organized. It's so critical with any serious illness to be organized. Jordan, what about you? If you could only do one thing to improve healthcare in the U.S., what would it be and why? So I know I can't say the same thing that she did, but <laughs> I... She said we can agree. Oh, I do agree. <laughs> I would love to see uh, more listening done from the doctors. I know they are so overwhelmed. I can't imagine with what they go through, but I think a lot of them look at patients exactly the same, yeah. and we're so different. 
Um, so I think that would kind of be the biggest thing is just for them to listen to us a little more and, and not look at us as being the exact same patient. So that's my thoughts on it. You know, I interviewed a neurosurgeon who treats glioblastoma, the most common type of brain cancer. And one of the things he wished he had known in medical school and wasn't taught was just how much being a physician is an art as well as a science. And you get all the science and know-how when you go to school, but that art of really being a good doctor and listening to patients, to your point, he, you know, that's an art. And he said, and that develops over time. You don't just come out of medical school and know how to do these things. And of course that requires an enormous amount of empathy, which not everybody has. And, and so I think that's, um, that's great. I love that. Um, yeah, they and there's something to be said. Medical school. Yeah. And why not? Right. right. Why, why that's not have, matter. yeah. Why mm -hmm. not have those courses, especially if you're, if you're going to be a clinician and deal with people, you need to understand how to deal with people. Yeah. Exactly. And a big thing I'm doing, cause I still am a college student. Um, I have a few more semesters left and I'm studying business. Obviously I have a disability. So I go through the disability program at my school. It is horrible. They look at every single student exactly the same with the platform I'm building with the company, the keynote speaking and the media interviews. I'm trying to change the idea of every person is the same, especially at school with a disability. I mean, there's, I, I have a 20 page paper due Sunday that was just given to us. What if I have a migraine for the next two days? How am I supposed to get that done? But they don't care. They're like, okay, you have disability letters. Oh, well, sorry. You got to do it like everybody else. I know with my platform I'm building, I might have a better chance of changing the way the disability program is run at my school than someone else who's afraid to say something. Because I'm not afraid to say something. And I learned that from her. <laughs> so I'm really trying to do a lot of patient advocacy and it ties into uh, my town my ribbon color is purple and September is our awareness month and they just made a proclamation that every September our massive town clock is going to be lit purple to help me spread awareness about my condition because it is rare and not a lot of people know about it. I love that so much and for context for people Jordan's talking about a paper that's due in 48 hours. We're recording this on a Friday. And, and that's horrible, by the way. I used, to be, I used to be a graduate TA. I taught undergrad students. They knew for the entire semester when papers were due. I mean, it was laid out for the whole semester from day one. So yep. they had no excuse. <laughs> but, but 48 hours for a 20, 20 page pages paper. and it's not like I wouldn't mind if he said okay pick something you like it's on uh oil how am I supposed to write 20 pages on oil <laughs> so it'll be interesting uh you ladies are wonderful are you ready you. for the thriver rapid fire questions sure all right these are the ones that you can answer let's do let's do Robin I'll answer and then Jordan next but we'll answer them kind of simultaneously you know what I mean so okay. I won't repeat the question. That's what I'm trying to say. Beach, desert, or mountains? Beach. Beach Boys, Beatles, or Rolling Stones? Rolling Stones. I'm going to just skip that one because I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Give me a replacement. You're allowed to replace. 
Um, I'm a big fan of Rascal Flats. Got it. What is one word that best describes you? Funny. Passionate. And I'm going to do something a little different here. What is one word you would use to describe the other person? I knew you were going to go and say, ask that. You go Pro first. Professional. Aw. My hero. I know that was two words, but. <laughs> I love that it. Was nice. And my sister is my hero. Before you die, what is the last song you want to hear? Uh, Time for me to fly. Aria Speedwagon. Never gonna give you up. I don't know. I can't remember who. It's an '80s song, I think. It is an '80s song. Yes. <laughs> That's my jam. <laughs> I get just—it's going on in my head. I, I can't can remember who sings either. Yeah. Um, all right, last meal you want to eat? Stone crabs. A burger. <laughs> last person or people you want to see? Uh, my family. Yeah, family. And the last words you will speak. Um, enjoy the ride. It goes by quickly. Never give up on what you truly love. Aside from Cancer U, what is one resource that you would recommend for patients and caregivers? And Jordan, be sure to tell people about what you do. Use Limitless Medical Logs, health management tool, paper, uh, medical journal, or the digital app. You can get it at LimitlessMedicalLogs.com. Be the advocate of your own health. Put yourself in the driver's seat. I love that. And we will have links um, to that in the show notes inside of the workshop for our Cancer U members. If anyone would like to get in touch with either one of you, Robin, you go first. What's the best way to reach out to you? Uh, my email, it's R-R-A-Y-I-N-S at hotmail.com. Fantastic. What about you, Jordan? Uh, you can reach out on Instagram, JordanRay25. Just send me a DM and also um, the business email, contact at LimitlessMedicalLogs.com, and I will see it. Great. We'll put that in the notes as well. Ladies, thank you so much for coming on together and sharing both of your stories today. Thank you. So thank much. you for having us. Thank you for listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. If you like our podcast, give us a five-star rating and review and tell your friends about us. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening right now. If you want to share your cancer journey with the world and be a guest on our podcast, go to our website, cancer.university. That's cancer.university. And hit the contact button or click the contact link in the show notes. You've been listening to the Cancer Youth Thrivers podcast. Real people, true stories.